0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. (laughs) We had a lost decade in
1: real estate in Canada from probably 1990 to 2000. There was a point, if you remember Toronto, of those years where there were lots of vacant parking lots and lots of sites that had been seen as future office development downtown because the previous cycle had been all about building office buildings.
2: Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness related issues. On today's show, we're going to discuss what it takes to build an apartment building in Toronto. Also, how to get insurance for free. Well, almost. And lastly, the top recipes for spring. But first, a little bit of business. Support for today's show comes from the Benvenuto Group. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. I'd like to welcome our first guest, Mitchell Abrahams. He's the principal of the Benvenuto Group. He's a real estate professional with over 25 years of commercial and multifamily residential real estate experience. He's converted apartments into condominiums and developed condominium and apartment projects. Welcome back. Good to see you again. So Toronto is in the midst of a huge expansion. For a long time, there's been more building cranes in Toronto, I think, than any other North American city. But by the time we see trucks and equipment and there's road closures, most of the figurative heavy lifting has already been done. Isn't that right? That's true. This has always been interesting to me. It's one thing to build or renovate a house. But, you know, when you're talking about a project the size of an apartment building, you know, where do you start? And, you know, it occurred to me is it you have an idea in mind of what you want to build or is it that you have a piece of land that you want to work with how does it work in some ways it depends on what
1: your business plan is as an investor right? right there there are all kinds of different people who own apartment buildings right some are in a different business and see it as a stable investment and know nothing about building an apartment building right some are pension funds and institutional investors who say we should have this percentage of our portfolio in real estate and in in our real estate portfolio certain percentage should be in office buildings and some should be in industrial parks and some should be in apartment buildings. And they set out to do it. And uh, a lot of the pension fund investors who have dominated Canadian real estate in the last 20 years aren't in the condo business. So for them, they haven't had enough exposure to apartment buildings because they've been trying to buy apartment buildings, but there just aren't that many. And many of them are in strong long-term holder's hands. So at some point you say, if I want to own more good quality rental, I've got to build it. So let's start at the beginning, right? So that, that would be land acquisition, right? Correct. Let's take a step back. Sure. You know, we had a lost decade in real estate in Canada from probably 1990 to 2000. So there was a point, if you remember Toronto, of those years where there were lots of vacant parking lots and uh, lots of sites that had been seen as future office development downtown uh, because the previous cycle had been all about building office buildings for a growing corporate sector. But, you know, because no apartment buildings were really built from the 60s and 70s because of changing legislation, there was a pent up demand. But a lot of that didn't get dealt with for a long time. You know, since 2000, we've been seeing in a low interest rate environment, people building condo buildings and people taking advantage of low mortgage rates and buying homes rather than renting homes. Right. So a lot of the land got used up. So the easy stuff has been done. And now we find ourselves at a time in the city where getting a piece of land in a good location is not an easy thing to do. Right. Sometimes it's a land assembly. First of all, there aren't that many places where you can build a high-rise apartment building. Because of zoning, correct? Right. Much of the city is zoned for single-family homes and for office and mixed use, and there's not that many places where you really find yourself, right, with the planets uh, lining up to be able to build an apartment building. So then take that and look at areas like downtown and midtown and uh, and King West and all kinds of other urban locations. A lot of stuff has been built in the last 15 years. Sure. So it means one of two things, either doing land assemblies, which is buying remnant houses that sit in high-rise zone neighborhoods. And that's not an easy thing to do. You're sometimes dealing with 15 private families, and you've got to buy one at a time, and it can take years dealing with each person's issues and finally ending up with a full site that's developable. Right.
2: Until, and then they have right. different agendas. They may not want to move. They, want, they may want to yeah. stay on their Some properties. people have no
1: interest in uh, no matter what the price is moving. They're happy. Their kids go to school in the neighborhood. Other people are happy to take a profit and move somewhere else. And finding a place where you can pay people more than their house is worth as a house it depends on what you can develop on that site in the future. On top of that, there are other low-rise buildings, smaller office buildings, older schools, buildings like that that lead to demolition and redevelopment. But those are complicated things compared to what we used to do when you used to see a vacant piece of land sitting in a downtown or midtown location and just be able to go ahead and, and start the rezoning process. So just ending up with a piece of land is an exercise of spending a lot of money and spending a fair bit of time. And that's with not knowing for sure in any site exactly what you're going to end up getting approved
2: to be able to build on it. Well, that's the next step, right? So so once you have the land, you sort of have to have the forethought of, okay, so it's zoned residential, but you may need to make applications in order to get a high-rise build, correct? Correct. And even before that, you're always comparing when you buy
1: a piece of land for residential purposes, especially in today's environment. Does this make more sense as a condominium development or as an apartment building development? Okay. That in itself is a challenge, right? Because many people say, There's far less risk of building a condominium. If you got the exact same zoning for the exact same number of floors and the same number of suites, a lot of people aren't looking to tie up the money and manage a building in the long term. It's not their business. They're developers of condos. And when you develop a condo, it means that you are designing a building. Pre-selling the units, taking the risk of the sales side off the uh, table, right. and and then building the building, hopefully for less than the revenue that you generated from selling it, and selling it off, and then the condo corporation goes around, along and manages itself. And And then you're out of the equation. Correct. You've you've made your profit. And in some ways, those buildings are designed differently. If you're building something that's designed around individual owners, it's a little bit like the difference between a car and taking transit, right? Mm -hmm. When you're designing something and each person has their own air conditioning system, they have their own systems, energy efficiency may not be as important. Certain things are important to appeal to a buyer. Other things are important for an apartment building owner to look at in the long term. How is this building going to operate and remain relevant for the long term because it's a long term investment?
2: Okay. So you assembled the land and now you're dealing with zoning, which is a whole other animal and it's time consuming. And there could be as many as three or four steps. It isn't just you get approval. There could be battles ahead. Right.
1: Absolutely. Just developing plans that make sense takes a whole team. Urban design and planning and lawyers and architects and engineers just to get something that works on a site and respects the uh, the planning and urban design policies of the city. So until you even bring an application forward to the city – you're spending lots of time and lots of money just to figure out what works here, what works for the market, what works from a planning perspective, and uh, what's going to be something that is going to be what's the right thing for this neighborhood, not for just today, but for the long term of this location. Right. And, and
2: let's talk about – so even if you had a plan, you go to the trouble of you – know, you're going to have to put together some sort of details for the city to look at you have to deal with a bunch of stakeholders, right? Like it isn't necessarily just that you get what you want. There are other people that are going to have a say. Absolutely. I mean, you start with the counselor
1: of the ward that you're
2: working in and then you have planning
1: people and urban design people. And then you have people from site servicing and uh, you have people from the city's green department in terms of sustainability issues. And then you have local ratepayers who get involved and voice their opinion and you have neighbors and you sometimes have competing developers who feel that you're blocking their project.
2: And then on top of that, you're dealing with counselors who are up for election, who perhaps have agendas, you know, for their own careers. So, you know, I I presume that's incredibly time consuming. And, you know, you need to be both detail oriented and thick skinned to work your way through the process to get something approved. It sounds immensely interesting. And I think, you know, we've opened up uh, an area that we really need to talk about some more. And I'd like to talk about it when you come back. Would you do that? Let's do that for sure. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break. But when we come back, we're going to discuss how to get insurance for free on the tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor Purica. Purica wants you to turn its protein into your power. A blend of the finest vegan protein and the antioxidant powerhouse that is the pure chaga mushrooms. Purica Power features ingredients and enzymes designed to optimize digestion and absorption. Unlike many protein powders, Purica Power tastes great with water and mixes easily. It's available in chocolate, vanilla and natural unflavored. From the Purica family to yours, Purica Power is a new way to make the most of every day. It's all part of the Purica commitment to making a positive difference in the lifestyle of its customers. Ask your favorite health food store for Purica Power vegan protein or visit Purica.com. Purica. Nature. Science. You. I'd like to give a shout out to Wealthmore Financial Strategies and in particular its managing partner Larry Berdugo. Larry has helped thousands of business owners and families with his strategies that allow for the tax-free withdrawal of money out of a corporation in an organized and CRA-friendly manner. His creative and straightforward insurance and financial planning ideas could show you ways to get your insurance for free or at very little net cost. Through Wealthmore Financial Strategies and his close working relationship with one of Canada's top tax lawyers… Larry's been helping people like me save money and ensure the smooth transition of wealth into the next generation for over 30 years.
0: This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
2: Welcome back. Larry Berdugo's belief in pragmatic financial and insurance planning strategies stems from his own personal experiences. His father passed away unexpectedly with no life insurance. Larry was forced to leave school to help support his family. In 1988, he entered the financial services industry. Larry's a certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant, certified financial service broker, and chartered life underwriter. Welcome. Thank you, Jamie. I understand we're going to talk about getting insurance for free today, right? That's the main thrust of our conversation, yes. That is a tall order, sir. It's (laughs) a good thing you're a tall man. (laughs) At six foot four, it helps, I guess.
0: So let's start with life insurance. Buying a policy. What should we be looking at? Well, there are a few creative strategies to really look at. One of them is really called a corporate insured retirement plan. And it's a strategy where we use life insurance as a tool. Life insurance has the benefit of providing a death benefit, but it also has this unique tax step where the assets accumulate tax-sheltered, and it really gives you a way to have your cake and eat it too. So with the recent budget changes that really limit the amount of tax shelters a corporation can use, this is probably the very last, very effective tax shelter that business owners have access to. And it's really designed to help people supplement their RRSPs. And it works as follows. Basically, a business owner buys an insurance policy and overfunds it or puts extra dollars into the plan above and beyond the risk cost. It really works with corporate after-tax dollars, although it does work with personal dollars as well. After several years of making deposits into the plan, the client assigns the policy and gets a line of credit and draws down that line of credit, which effectively gives them a tax-free income. So we've just given them a methodology to strip money out of their corporation in a very tax-effective manner. As a side to that, Jamie, they have the policy and they have this loan, which does not need to be paid or the interest doesn't need to be paid on an ongoing basis. We've made an arrangement with the bank so that the interest would only be paid at death. And the tax rate of the insurance is at a lower rate. That's the key, right? The insurance actually is not taxed at all. So the accumulation is completely tax-free. And then we have a mechanism that where they can now get the money out tax-free. So the gross tax sheltered like an RSP. So there's no tax on the accumulation over the years. And currently most insurers are paying around a 6% tax free rate of return. Oh, wow. And then there's a methodology at the end where they can actually take that money out without any tax.
2: Okay. For a lot of people, life insurance is just sort of uh, one leg on the table certainly with our listeners, critical health insurance is a, is a key component as well. Do you want to talk about that?
0: Yeah. So the other aspect that sort of leads into this, there's critical illness insurance, which provides for the one-time lump sum payment on the diagnosis and survival of one of 24, 26 diseases, depending on the company. As an independent broker, we work with all major companies. And what happens is you buy a policy and you know, should something happen, uh, heart attack, stroke, or cancer account for 86% of claims currently. Sure. So if you were diagnosed with cancer, you you survive 30 days, they would pay out, let's say, for example, $100,000. And that $100,000 could be di- used in any way you'd like. If you have to wait for an MRI, here you might have to wait three or four months, but you can go get an MRI next week in Buffalo for $800. So it lets you use that money however you want. You can use it to supplement income if you've had to take time off work. The other benefit of it, and one of the really creative ways is the critical illness policy has an option where you can get all your money back. So anytime after the 15th year, so 15 years and beyond, you can decide, I don't need this anymore and I can get all my money back. You won't have the policy anymore, but it really becomes a zero cost or what we call an opportunity cost. So the premiums that you've paid all get returned? Is that how it works? Every penny. Wow. Anytime after the 15th year, assuming you haven't had a claim, of course. Right. So after 15 years, let's say you've put in you know, $50,000. After 15 years, you get all $50,000 back. The real cost is the opportunity cost, or what could you have done with that money somewhere else? Right,
2: because you're not getting the interest back, I, I presume. Right, and that's what their profit is, for lack of a better word. Right, because they've been using your money for 15 years. They've already derived... It's almost like an interest-free loan for them, but it allows you to get your your hands back on your capital.
0: Well, that's great. And really, if you think about it, if it costs, let's say, $3,000 a year, if you're really a student investor and you can earn 10% on your money, you're giving up $300 a year of net cost. And that's assuming you get 10%, you pay no tax. So really, that's a very generous assumption. Right. So your net cost is really at a a worst case to $300 a year, because that's what you're giving up. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, again, our listeners would also be interested in
2: in any sort of paradigm which deals with you know their estates. So let's let's move on to the next topic that I think you wanted to talk
0: about. Okay, well, yeah. So the other topic is really what's called a, an estate transfer strategy. So part of what's happening as we age, we tend to build up these estates. Quite often, in our corporation, we tend to build up some wealth, and as you take that money out of the corporation, it becomes taxable. Right. And the idea is really to minimize or eliminate the tax. So we have a strategy that's really creative that allows people who basically say, you know what, I have all this money in my corporation. It's Maybe I'll use half of it, but the other half is going to go to my children or my estate. So what this allows us to do is set up an insurance policy again, but again, with an investment driven aspect where the client will put money in on a regular basis, maybe from other investments. And as the money accumulates, it would ultimately be paid off to the children as part of the death benefit. So currently, if they were to take that money and God forbid pass away, that money in the investments under the corp would be fully taxable, actually right. subject to double taxation. Right, Taxation to the corp on accumulation, taxation on disposition. This way, the money flows through to the insurance company to the corporation and gets a capital dividend account credit and ultimately flows to the heirs tax-free or with very, very little tax, depending on how it's structured. But it takes, let's say, $100,000 that would end up being 50 to the estate. I can make that at least ninety to to $100,000 tax-free. What you just described, that's only available to corporations, correct? It, it's most suitable for corporations, but even people on a personal level, but it's much more effective in a corporate manner.
2: Okay. Larry, we, we're running short on time this week, but we'd love to have you back. And when you come back, what is you want to talk about?
0: Well, probably the biggest point we're having traction right now with is the ability to use insurance as an asset class. Currently, insurance companies are paying a 6% roughly, anywhere from five and three quarters to 6% rate of return tax free. So for people with large fixed income portfolios, this has been an incredibly successful strategy to really get a much better rate of return with zero, not much more risk and diversifying outside of their standard asset class. Fantastic, Larry, thank you for coming in today. Thanks for having me,
2: Jamie. We've got to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about amazing recipes for spring on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Hey everybody, I just wanted to take this opportunity to give a shout-out to one of our sponsors, Purely Natural. They're fourth-generation master herbalists. It's a family-owned Canadian company that's been in business for over 100 years. They've been working with my company, Tonic Magazine, for over 10 years, and its principal, Joel Thuna, has been writing our fantastic preventative medicine column for over 7 years. They're one of the original sponsors for the Omtio Yoga Festival. The company is certified GMP, kosher and organic. For more information about Purely Natural, please visit their website, purelynatural.com. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic, I'm also the host of OMTO, Toronto's best free outdoor yoga festival. Imagine taking as many as nine free yoga classes in the beautiful distillery district with hundreds of people just like you. All you need to do is bring your yoga mat and your good intentions. Please join us at the distillery district on Sunday, June 24th. For more information, please visit omto.ca. See you there.
0: You're listening to The Tonic on
3: Zoomer Radio.
2: Welcome back. In addition to being a lawyer and a mother of three teenagers, my next guest is also the immensely popular cookbook reviewer for Tonic Magazine, my wife, Naomi. Hi, honey.
3: Hi. Thanks for having me.
2: It's springtime, and that means that people will be eating lighter, and it's an opportunity to use new ingredients. So let's explore some of those, okay? Sure. First off, Fiddleheads. No, just joking. Fiddleheads, fiddleheads <laughs> suck. They have a weird texture and they taste awful. We're not talking about fiddleheads. To okay. my listeners, please do not write in and tell me how much you love fiddleheads. It just means you have no taste buds. But we are going to start with... That's pretty extreme. It is extreme. (laughs) Perhaps I was even trying to evoke some response. I don't know. We're going to start with is actually a vegetable that I have changed my mind about, and that is asparagus.
3: Asparagus. I also have increased my liking of asparagus. I wasn't sure about it before, but it's actually very delicious when you prepare it properly. Mm -hmm. And it does evoke spring for sure. So, when I was thinking about asparagus, and I thought, asparagus not as a side dish, but as a main dish, there's a recent cookbook. It's one of my favorite, most useful cookbooks that I've been you know that I've gotten recently which is called Dinner Changing the Game by mm-hmm. Melissa Clark who's a writer for the New York Times. She has just a pile of asparagus main course recipes which all look delicious, easy. One thing about her recipes is they're pretty fast. You can usually make them during yep. the week when you come home from work. So she has asparagus carbonara pasta, asparagus frittata, Cacio e Pepe pasta with asparagus and peas. You got two spring vegetables for the price of one. Smashed white bean toasts with roasted asparagus and sumac. And even asparagus with polenta and burrata. And burrata is delicious. So all, you know, that's, I think, five different asparagus main course recipes for spring, all vegetarian looks really good to me.
2: Yeah, no, asparagus, because they're they're fibrous vegetables, right? So they they have sort of a, I wouldn't say a heft, but, you know, there's a depth to them that they sort of stand up to cooking in ways that perhaps other vegetables don't. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on. Let's talk about peas. I know you're going to talk about a pea dish which has the worst name ever. It sounds horrible, but it's actually really <laughs> delicious. And when I say it, I even dread saying it, but pea mash. It doesn't sound like it would be good in any way, but it's really delicious.
3: But it is. And peas are one of those vegetables. It's a faux spring vegetable because you don't get fresh peas really in April, but it evokes spring. And it so it makes people think of spring. And we make this pea mash really we can make it all year round because we make it usually with frozen peas because it would take a lot to get two cups of fresh peas. A lot of work. A lot of work. But in any case, there's a recipe that I got on Epicurious for these cauliflower fritters with pea mash. And the fritters are really good, but it's the pea mash that's really good. It's the pea and, mash that is the winner. And you can use it anytime you need a dip or a spread. You don't have to have the cauliflower fritters. And it's just made with peas, which are defrosted. And it's got mint and lemon and almond flour or or some other nut. And it's so it's like fresh a pes- It's like a pesto, right? Like a fresh, but almost like a hummus in texture. Right. And uh, it's just a great thing with bread, cheese, or on top of the fritters. So you can get that off of Epicurious.com. And it's something that I would suggest next time you have party or just even for dinner.
2: Yep. Okay. So ingredient number three, which is absolutely synonymous with spring is lamb.
3: Yes. Yeah, so, I recently came across this cookbook called Caucasus by someone named Olya Hercules, and she is Ukrainian. She's This isn't her first cookbook, and both her cookbooks have been really highly critically acclaimed. This one is about the food of Georgia, Azerbaijan... Armenia, so something that I suspect most people aren't familiar with. Not
2: your your typical cuisine.
3: No, no, and not unless their family is from there. And the recipes are actually a little bit different. The flavor combinations. It's just to give people a sense of it. This is the area surrounded by Russia, Turkey, and Iran. So it's you know little Middle East, little Mediterranean, little Russian. And they use a lot of uh, fresh herbs, a lot of sour, fermented things. They're sweet and savory together. Interestingly, she says that they eat a lot of vegetarian food, but they do farm sheep and lambs. There's a lot of lamb dishes, and one in particular called chakapuli. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. It sounds good, though. It sounds good. You know, she said this is spring on a plate, and it's lamb ribs, or you could also put the same paste on lamb shoulder, lamb leg, with herb paste with tarragon, mint, coriander, Cilantro, garlic, green onions, sour plums. That's one of those things that right. seem to be in the recipes. So it's going to have a sour and sweet paste. And that sounds like a very delicious, interesting lamb dish to try.
2: But for the tarragon, because, you know, as you know, I have issues with tarragon. But yes, I I looked at the cookbook and the the plums appear in a lot of the recipes. It appears to be, you know, one of the staple ingredients, but it, it did look interesting and it looked fresh.
3: It did. And she, the author gives you substitutions. If you can't find the sour plums, then she gives you some ideas of things that you could find that you could substitute. And Melissa Clark, in her Dinner Changing the Game, also has a number of lamb recipes that are easier, you know, those kind of recipes that you can make at the last minute when you come home from work. So you should check those out, too.
2: Excellent. Okay, so the last ingredient, and, and you know, we're going to orient towards dessert, is rhubarb, which I know is one of your favorites, and we actually grow it ourselves.
3: It is. I love rhubarb. So I, when thinking about rhubarb, I went right to my cookbook called Sweeter Off the Vine by an author named Yossi Arefi. She has a blog called Apartment 2B Baking Company, and that's where I came across her. But then she published this cookbook, which is all about fruit desserts. And it's divided by season. So under spring, she's got a whole bunch of rhubarb recipes. I've made one of them, uh, rhubarb and rye upside down cake, which is easy and great. But she also has rhubarb and rose galette. So it's flavored with little rose water, which is good as long as you take a light hand with the rose. Rhubarb semifredo, which is kind of a frozen custard. Roasted rhubarb pavlova, which is meringue with roasted rhubarb. So a whole different, you know, pile of rhubarb recipes, all which look good to me. And I'd definitely suggest checking out the book.
2: In our backyard, it doesn't cultivate until later in the season. It is definitely a local spring fruit that you can access and is available in spring.
3: It is. And it's so pretty. It makes everything pink. You know, it's a nice nice dessert.
2: Who doesn't like that? Yeah. Excellent. Well, that's all the time we have today. Next month, you're going to come back and discuss Mother's Day brunch, right? Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you for coming in. You're welcome. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomeradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For articles written by Naomi Bussin, please be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic magazine. Tonic is available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighbourhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week when we'll discuss the health benefits of Mighty Magnesium, why spring is the time to change your nutrition, and top tips for cleansing. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please
1: consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads.